Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 129 with our guest, Lisa Wang. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey, here for another one of my favorite episodes because I love the chance to be in studio face-to-face with a brilliant entrepreneur. And today is no different. I'm here with Lisa Wang, the founder of SheWorks. Hello, Lisa. Hello. Excited to be here. Thank you. So you were just acquired by Republic. Yes. Um, I I had the um, I had the, the the good fortune to interview Chuck. Awesome. Last uh, last podcast row event. Incredible guy. So you you got acquired. Did you? How long was SheWorks before you got acquired? How old? Uh, started in 2015. So it was a five-year-old company. Yep. Did you go into it saying this is going to be a um, an acquired company? How did that mind? Set? No. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even go into it thinking it was going to be a company. <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> so um, it really started from my own pain point. So I actually had a previous company, a startup in the food tech space, and it was my experience fundraising in Silicon Valley, and going through my own uh, just very clearly sexist conversations with investors and. Oh, wow. And feeling like I had no one to talk to. And at that point, you know, years ago, there were not a lot of female-oriented events or spaces. And I could talk to my male founder friends, but honestly, I wanted someone who could empathize with my journey and who was also solution-focused. So even back then, when there were women's events, they tended to be problem-focused. And for me, it was, okay... I know that this is a problem, but I would like to, how do I meet the right investors? How do I get the knowledge that I need to learn in order to successfully fundraise and grow my company? And so it started off with me bringing together uh, a group of female founders and really focusing on what next, what actions do we take and and coming together with people who had a shared story. So um, yeah, I think sometimes the best companies are the ones where it's so deeply personal the problem that you want to solve, and then it turns into, uh, you know, a, a movement, really, which is what I think I built. Hmm. So you you set out to build that, and then it became what SheWorks is, and then what was it like? At some point, you thought, wow, this is legit. 
Yeah, I mean, it was probably about six months in where the word of mouth was just spreading and everyone wanted to come to SheWorks events. Every single one was full. We started charging for them and and I thought, wow, this is like, this could actually be big. Like, think of all the female entrepreneurs out there in, like, in America, in the world who don't have access to this, who are also struggling the way we had been struggling. And um, yeah, so that that really is at the point where I think we got a sponsor and we're like, okay, look at the revenue, the revenue works, like, here's a general business model and uh, what next? Oh, I guess we have to incorporate. And, and it kind of just, you know, step by step by step. And I realized that that's really where I want to spend my time and energy because that was what I was, the problem I was passionate about solving. And it was a real problem. And that's the, that's the foundation for any successful entrepreneur solving a problem. Yeah. I think every, so here's the thing that a lot of people build companies and they're like, here's a cool idea. Here's a cool product. Like people should want it. And should is always the wrong way to approach things. And really every company should be an answer to someone's question. It should be a solution to someone's problem. And so what a lot of people miss out on is like, okay, let's take the time to listen to what people are saying. Listen to how they are uh, the words they use to talk about their problem, right? Because even if even if you know deep down that there's a problem that they need solved, if they don't know that they have that problem, they're not going to buy your solution. Yeah. And and I think that's that's what's really important. Like, what language are they using to describe their problem? How do you truly empathize and step into their shoes? And you know, think about let's say Jane the Avatar, right? She's when she wakes up in the morning. Is she, what questions is she asking? Um, what are her daily challenges? Like what's, what's the deep burning fear inside of her and how can I be the answer to her question? So now you have, she works, it's thriving and, uh, five years in, uh, Republic comes knocking and was that by design? So Ken, the CEO of Republic, who's an amazing human being, we had actually developed um, a friendship because we had seen each other through numerous startup events and really respected, I think, the the narrative of what each of us was building, um, which was really around the future of funding and democratizing access to it. And so, um, you know, I had I had gotten to a point in, in the SheWorks journey where I started seeing different visions of how I could how I could grow kind of my next mission that I wanted to work on. And, um, you know, Republic is is part of Angelus. They have a great infrastructure. And I was just really I really admired the the operations and the team that Ken had built. And I I, I saw the synergy and I saw the synergy and um, we both discussed it and we were like, this could be great. Like here's, here's where I'm strong. Here's where you're strong. And here's how we could both be stronger together. So what really made that work from your point of view is you had the ecosystem. You had to have everything in place, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then he saw it, how, how you guys could, how it could amplify both brands really both, um, and, and attract the right entrepreneurs that, that were seeking alternative sources of funding. Wow. You're also a national, a U.S. national champion and Hall of Fame gymnast. I am. A Hall of Fame gymnast. <laughs> that is amazing. Thank you. Where do, where do we begin? Uh, well, I guess when I'm nine, that's technically where I began. Yeah. But um, I think without recapping my entire history... I think what's really important in terms of the the context of today is um, the 
the lessons I learned from both the success and the failure within my journey through the sport. Um, so, so I guess first and foremost, in terms of how gymnastics fundamentally shaped me, Mm. um, as a human being today is really my, my intense discipline, my focus, my ability to work harder than probably most people around me. Um, and this, I think at the end of the day, a belief in myself that was both internal, but, um, has grown stronger with each time I succeed. And I'm like, well, if I was able to execute then and successfully do it, I think I should, you know, I think I should have some faith in myself by this point that I, I can do it if I set my mind to it. Um, but, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's taught me, especially as an entrepreneur that failure is, is not really failure, right? It's, um, when you've, when you've fallen so many times physically and learned how to fall and get back up and overcome the shame and or bar- embarrassment or anything else that comes along with um, the physical and mental pain of, of falling, you learn that you can get back up again. And it's just, you just got to do it. So you you were in the that world for 10 years yeah. from the age of nine to 19. Yeah. Uh, you you went into that world, or did your family or? Yeah, it was it was really my my own desire to do that. I discovered the sport through a chance um, a thing that happened in in third grade. So third grade short story is mm-hmm. that um, we had something called Fine Arts Day. Fine Arts Day is where we would choose all these dance and art classes and whatever um, instead of your typical math, science, social studies. And um, there were two classes I really wanted to take. One of them was the Beanie Baby Making class, and the other one was the Rhythmic Gymnastics one. And I so, could have gone either way. I know I was an avid yeah. collector of Beanie Babies, and someone joked that if I had um, gone down the Beanie Baby Making class, maybe I would have become a world class Beanie Baby maker. And luckily, I didn't because the value sorely dropped to zero for Beanie Babies today. <laughs> it's uh, so true, right? <laughs> I was a baseball card collector and it peaked. Yeah. And now those rookie cards are like a dollar fifty. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how could he be worth a dollar fifty? It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um but I I I recognize that as I was listening to everyone else talking that these are really popular classes that other people want to take. And the thing is my last name starts with a W, which is at the end of the alphabet. Go ahead. And the way that uh typical like teachers in classroom work is goes alphabetical order. That means I always choose last. And this was my first experience with um, perhaps bucking the status quo and speaking up about it, where I went to the teacher and I said, Hey, um, it's not fair that the second half of the alphabet always has to choose after the first half of the alphabet. Can we change that today? And um, I don't know of all days why I decided to speak up because maybe I really want to take, get one of my classes and she said, well, I mean, if you want to put it up for a vote and to see if, what the rest of the class says. So then I remember just standing there with um, rallying the second That's half great. of the alphabet and saying, like, it's just not fair. Come we on, always, N through Z. Come on. <laughs> we always have to, like, the M through Z. Right. right? It's like, um, and I was able to successfully rally, I think, just enough M's and N's to, right. to be on my team. And um, we put up for a vote. And so we won, which meant that I got to go first. So the the debate was you feared that your first choice, which we know the outcome was going to be the gymnastics class, right? Uh, you're, you were afraid that that would have been filled up yes. by the time? Yes. 
because they were it was like i think it's two slots per per, per course because you know imagine there's the whole third grade right all the t- so i think each classroom you get two slots per uh class Oh, so only two people needed to be taking it before you where it would have been closed yeah, out, the first exactly, two people. Right, exactly. Right, so. the Adams and the uh, <laughs> Bertenskys or whoever. Or the right. Adam Arkowskis and the Brian... Bounds? Ba- yeah. Bonds. Yeah, yeah, either way. All those A yeah. and B's yeah. names. But it's amazing that this, as you called it, a chance event... I have a similar story. Um, I wound up going the acting filmmaking road for many years of my life. Um, and that was also because of a, of a chance encounter in eighth grade where there was just a, a, a random conversation that sparked it. And I was like, okay, I'll audition. Mm. But, you know, it, it's always like these, like, you could always source it back to these seemingly what if random events. Like, hmm, if it didn't happen, yeah, what if... It didn't happen. Literally, yeah. you you give so much credit to those years that you, it, your life would have been so different. Well, see, the thing is, now as I've looked back at it, um, is that gonna run? Okay, that's fine. Okay, now that I look back at it, I think that um, you know, there's so many junctures in life, and even I think of I think of college, right? Like I I was debating between Yale and Stanford, and I. I really wanted to go to Stanford, but then my parents were like, that's too West Coast, and I, you know, all these things, and I should wait for that. It's insane. You hear that? Yeah. Don't let you know. Again, that was cut. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yale Stanford. That's good. Okay. Um, you know, that's, that's a, one key example I think about a lot because I think there I had moments of regret of choosing and um, and then there were things like um, the, I mean there's just so many daily decisions right that that can change the course of your life and I think at the end of the day even before gymnastics I've always been very driven I've always been this disciplined kind of perfectionist person type A and I think in many ways, maybe if I hadn't found gymnastics, I would have found something else that I would have excelled in. And um, life would have been different, but, you know, who knows? Maybe I'd be saving the environment. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Somehow it would have worked out, right? Yeah, By, I, I You believe. would have made sure of it? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I would have made sure of it because it, it's, it's very self-driven. Yeah. You mentioned that um, there are all these decisions do you think that sometimes uh, an entrepreneur will give will give so much equal weight to every decision, or is that the proper thing, or is nothing no big deal? And how do you how do you weigh the decision making process? Well, I think you need to first start with you, what's important to you, and so what's important to you should stem from what your vision and purpose is. And I don't think enough people take the time to really flesh out who am I, mm. what am I meant to do in this world? Like, why do I want to do it? What am I really optimizing for? And does that really matter? And, and I think this optimization is some, like, am I optimizing for the thing that society has told me I should optimize for? Like, you know, good job, wealth, security, all these things. Or, um, you know, is, is my definition of happiness optimizing for something else? And, you know, usually I think people who do find that true happiness are are optimizing for a purpose greater than themselves, greater than their immediate surroundings. You know, they're they're serving others. And um, and I think that 
um, you know, after you ask those questions, then it becomes clear that then you can, you eventually, your path starts to appear, right? Like here's, here's the vision I'm going after that I've created for myself. And then you start to notice there's always going to be external stimuli. There's always going to be like emails and like pings and decisions. And you start to notice like, is this at all relevant to my journey? Is this person at all relevant? Is this like really an emergency? Does it even matter? Should I even be considering whether this is an emergency or do they like, are they complete noise? And I think what, so it's like once you've figured out your track and your focus, that's how you can start to just like figure out what to even make a decision about in the first place if it's relevant to you. And if it's like, if there's really going to be a consequence, if you like a big consequence, if you choose either way. And I think about it as like when I was a gymnast, I had, I had two focuses. I had gymnastics and be excellent in gymnastics and then be excellent in school because my my parents uh, put a great emphasis on education and and it was so that made it so while I never went I didn't get to have a social life I didn't go to parties I didn't date I didn't go to like prom or anything like that um, but those just weren't relevant to my journey at that point they weren't relevant to the vision of myself so I didn't if someone invited me it wasn't really a decision of should I or shouldn't I it's just like I don't need to consider that and make the decision because I know where I'm going. You you were comfortable with that choice. You didn't feel neglect or that you were missing out on that social aspect. I think every teenager especially wants to feel accepted and included and cool. Mm. And um, as someone who is extremely introverted my entire life, I um, I also wanted to be accepted, and and I probably read books where it was like the characters are really cool so I could live vicariously through their lives. But um, I I think, I do think that in some ways in gymnastics I hid behind my success and my excellence so that I didn't have to put myself in those uncomfortable situations of, uh, you know, like talking and, um, but. That's fantastic. So yeah. you, you pursued this even further and like, oh, nope, can't attend that party. I'm busy. I have a meet. I have, uh, yeah. you know, I, I have, um, yeah. rehearsal in the morning. Or, yeah. yeah. And I think I, I definitely, um, embodied this persona of like the mysterious gymnast girl who's always gone, but like really good. And also like going to all these honors classes and I, I, you know, I embodied that role and I felt comfortable in it, but, um, I, I think I certainly did feel somewhat missing out, but I think the more detached I was, the easier it was to to not feel like I was missing out. And then the other thing is that I knew I knew I was going to college and I, I had this vision of like, I'm going to retire before college and I'm going to be a non-athlete when I go there. I'm going to be a normal student and I'm going to all those things, those movies where it's like college is the golden four years, the best years of your life. Like I'm going to get that back. And whatever I miss out here, I'll get like 10 times more there. And the suspense. <laughs> so you went to college. So where did you go to Yale? Or I Stanford? went to Yale yeah. and, um, yeah, I had the time of my life. I like party a lot. I like had all the experiences. I, you know, drank booze for the first time. And, um, I was undisciplined for a while like a semester yeah. and, then, and then, and I came back. I was like, okay, what's my purpose? I need to find the thing that I'm passionate about. And, um, yeah. Let's go back to those, uh, gymnast years, um, for, for all kinds of analogy, um, the importance of your coach, coaches, mentors, supporters, important. Uh, yeah, absolutely important. I think every, everyone who's pursuing excellence needs a coach. Tell me more about that. Um, I, I think, 
you know, as a gymnast, I obviously needed a, a gymnastics coach to be able to point out areas where I could improve physically, like point out exercises I could do to strengthen because they've had the experience and the wisdom of training previous champions to know what works and what doesn't. Just an obvious alert for those listening, apply this to your life and business, as you were yes. saying, Lisa. Yeah. So, and that's obviously translated to life now, right? As a, as a professional in my career, um, in my life. And I, I've had a coach before, um, and now I actually coach others. Um, so I, I coach a number of executives and entrepreneurs and, um, I think it's really the job to hold up a mirror, right? Hold up a mirror to the person who you're coaching so that they can see themselves um, what's wrong. And, and I think that's, that's the most effective way. When you're, when you're with people who aren't saying, you should do this, you should do that, which is more of a disciplinarian figure. Um, often parents play that role. Um, the, so I think parents like, play this role of they discipline and they, they instill fear, because mm. the whole the whole purpose of a parent is like make sure the kid doesn't die. You know, Correct. Right? Yeah. And and um and so once they've instilled fear in you and they're like, this is a safe route. And then a lot of people stay in that safe route and they're like unhappy because they they've never explored outside of it. And you hear like mom saying, Be careful, don't do mm. that thing. And um the the difference with a coach is instead of like limiting and looking at your fears and what what could go wrong the coach is like here's a mirror and let's look at your potential let's let's find the potential in yourself that you don't even see and how do we bring out that greatness within you um and what exercises what 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 um ghosts in your past or skeletons do you have to look at in order to bridge that gap between who you are and who you could be this is amazing talking about in that example story there um where the parent is the whole responsibility is to um, keep you alive, make sure you don't yeah. die and, and say, hey, do this, this is safe, and then you can get trapped there. But now um, in the in the gymnastics world, you are a, um, a US national champion. You're a Hall of Fame gymnast. You were telling me you're, you are and were number one in the country. Yes. So you, you by definition, could not remain safe, right? Because that wouldn't get you there. Talk about that. Yeah. There's risk involved? How do there, we, there is risk involved. However, there's also a predefined track to get to number one. You know, first you qualify at state championships, then you qualify at regional championships, then you qualify at like junior Olympics, then you qualify for nationals, then you qualify for worlds, and then wow. you get on the team. So there's like... There's, there's clear steps and milestones to hit to get to that spot. And it, it's not like a random way that you like just fall into becoming a champion. And um, with entrepreneurship, it's just different because there is no predefined path for success. You're like, I don't know, should I get a co-founder? Should I not get a co-founder? Should I do a B2C model or a B2B model? Like, should I market like this or should I spend money elsewhere? And it's like, you just don't know. And so I think that was actually a mental shift that I had to had to um, really develop, which was um, and break out of. And school is like that too. Too, you know, like take these tests, go to this school, get a major, do this thing. And when you've had excellence in those areas of very structured, um, like society defining uh, ways. Um, it's hard to kind of break out and be like, I'm willing to risk failure uh, when I've had success 
and fall on my face and you know the fear of damaging your reputation is like is is real and so this is where you see a lot of people who've who've had success right who get stuck because of the fear because the stakes of failure become greater and so when there isn't that predefined like what is the what is the roadmap to success they're like oh like i can't afford to do that tell me about a a low in this 10-year history leading you to a national champion hall of fame number one spot tell me um a moment where it was dark and you had no clue if you would even get because i can't imagine it was all uphill constantly right there had to have been some low lows or yeah I am mean, i mistaken i think I'll, honestly there's a there's a there's always a point in i think an elite athlete's career where it's low for a long time because it's again you get sometimes you get trapped by your success you know they like I, I can't remember if Michael Phelps was the one who's saying it, who's, you know, after he had won all these golds and then he was expected to do it again. So because the difference is once you've gotten to the top, you're no longer the underdog. You know, you're no longer, okay, I'm gonna defeat the person. Now you're just maintaining and you're the fear is of the next person, younger, better person coming up and beating you. So you're protecting rather than just reaching and like really you have nothing to lose when you're going up. You have you only have something to lose when you're already at the top. So you experienced that. So put it into perspective um, where there was a time where you were overcome by fear and you had to work through that. How did you work through that? Well, I, the biggest uh, down low in my life was really when I, um, so I had been national champion for uh, multiple years at this point. I had gone to world championships multiple times and uh, I had one last thing that I had to conquer, and that was the Olympic Games. And I was um, set to go to the 2008 Olympic Games, um, and there was one more qualifying competition, and it was World Championships, and these were in Greece. And, um, yeah, I just, the the one moment where I kind of stumbled, and I ended up missing the Olympic Games by 0.25 tenths of a point. A quarter of one point. Yes, yeah. Uh, like a quarter of a of a tenth of a point. Oh. So it's just basically like nothing, right? Um, <laughs> but everything. Yes. And it's like, um, I mean, I think it's, you know, everything crumbles at that point where you're like this, this image I had of myself that I've been dreaming of for over a decade. Which was the Olympics? Yes. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it literally just shattered in front of my eyes. And which means like my whole identity was tied up in that. Go. And so what, like, what do you do when that happens? And um, that was really the moment where I felt like I wasn't good enough. I didn't work hard enough. I'm not prepared enough. And um, really triggered this. And there's a reason why I have the Enoughness podcast. That's my podcast, which is the, the feeling of never being good enough. The feeling of the question of like, when will it ever be enough? Um, you know, you keep achieving and achieving and achieving and, like somehow that, that external success is not translating to how you feel internally. And I think that that moment, that was the first moment where I was like, I will never be enough, no matter how many things I keep adding to the success bucket. And um, the way that I tried to overcome it was that I, um, I had a decision to make at that moment. And I said, if I'm going to like, should I just quit? Because like, I have nothing else to work for, right? Like I've done everything else. And, um, or do I, um, keep going? And it's like, and 
keep going to what end, right? And the thing is, I realized that there is no other end except for my own. Like up to that point, I had been competing for external gold medals and podiums and all these other things. And for the first time, I had to choose like, not only did, would I, if I kept going, would I have to keep training, but I would have to then tell Yale, like, oh, listen, I'm not coming. I got to defer a year. So there was this, all this additional stuff. And I finally made the decision. I was like, you know what? I'm going to become the best gymnast I can be and train for another year um, for no one else but for me. With that end in sight, like with, one year. With one year. And I was like, I'm going to make it to national championships a year from now. And so I, I bought a one-way ticket to Russia, to the Russian Olympic Training Center, Novogorsk, which is the most rigorous training center in the world. And think of Siberia in the middle of winter and like no one around and just... Uh, really miserable. Um, but they do that so that you can focus on nothing but the, but the sport. And, um, yeah, I, I went there, I trained and traveled across Europe and I was like, I'm going to be the best like effing gymnast like that I can possibly be. And I'm going to do it for myself and I'm going to do it, you know, even though I can't go in like to this thing that I've always wanted. And, um, I ended up competing at my last competition, the national championships in 2008, and I won every single gold medal. I won athlete of the year. And at that point I was like, all right, bye guys. Like now I'm finishing on a high, you know, I, I, I did it. And I, you know, cause I was like, I don't, I'm, I'm not the type of person who leaves when it's low and when it's easy and when everyone else is going to leave, like I'm going to leave on my own terms as the, as a champion, because that's what I am. Yeah. When the ratings are still high, when the audience is still selling out and buying the tickets and wow, it's amazing. Oh, my goodness. Um, what are we, what is the core message here that we're really sharing? The core message for me, um, it, it really is around enoughness because I think it's for me to encapsulate the mental transformation and the uh, strength that I've had to develop in order to keep going after. Uh, you know, very public failure as a, as a young, like 18 year old, um, to learn how to get back up. And as someone who on the outside people see as a, a role model, who's like, you know, achieved all the like really shiny gold stars that people, I think a lot of people covet. Um, and to, to be able to then speak openly about, yeah, that it's tough too, and that I'm just like everyone else, and um, I go through have the same insecurities, same fears, um, and the the underlying message around enoughness is like you know this this common thread of success is defined as you know you you got to kill it, you got to crush it, you got to make money, you got to be great. It's like how can I be great if I don't even feel like I'm good enough? Mm. And and I think that this the, there needs to be more conversation around enoughness it's like you don't need to wait until you get like you know two letters after your name when you get your business school degree or three letters when you get your phd or like another stamp of approval like you don't need permission to to do what you want like you are already enough as you are with your strengths so long as you have the will so long as you have the willingness to invest in yourself and to take the time to figure out what your vision and your purpose is like when you have that will like no one can stop you because it's like this, this fundamental thing that took me so long to understand, which was that until you respect yourself, um, no one else will. But when you do, when you 
like respect yourself so much, other people can't help but respect you. I'm getting the chills. It's so true. I'm 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 living proof of that these days, and I yeah. stepped into that having come from. Um, a lifetime of neediness, insecurity, external validation, seeking approval. That didn't come because mm-hmm. I was showing up in all these situations saying, oh, I want that, I need that. But I, I wore the label saying I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants me around. So I attracted all of that and then validated that for myself. So yeah. now that I can reverse that, now I get the people who are like, yo, I see what you're doing. I love that. You're great. And I'm like, cool. Thanks. You yeah. get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I will leave you with this final question. Lisa Wang, how would you like to be remembered? Is this a tombstone question, like three words or just? No. Um, I would like to be remembered as someone who really changed the, the face and narrative of leadership. Um, I think that leadership today is inherently selfish self-promotional it's Hmm. um like a lot of leaders are doing it for the for the accumulation of wealth and status and power um and you look at who's leading corporations you look at who's leading countries right it's it's just how it how it's been and i think that there's a shift right now as we start to realize that the earth is not going to survive humanity is not going to survive if we have the leadership that we've always had the the new leadership narrative has to be around you know you lead with a a purpose greater than you. You lead with, first and foremost, the desire to help and empower and uplift others. And then as a result of doing that, then you get the wealth and the fame and whatever else that you want. But if you can, if for me, I want to be able to change the entire face and narrative of leadership to embrace this concept of, of almost serving from purpose, right? And and unapologetically serving from purpose and going after some of those big goals. And um, yeah, I want to be remembered by individuals that who were directly influenced by, um, who were directly inspired and motivated and empowered by me that said, hey, listen, like you're already good enough. Like you don't, you don't need all these other things. Um, and maybe by listening to my story of someone who has been, you know, successful and shiny and, and being open about what, I've struggled with and saying like, I'm just like you, like no matter what society has like put on my resume. And, um, if I'm just like you, that means like you can do it too. Extraordinary conversation. Thank you so much, Lisa, for coming on and opening up in the way you did. Fantastic. I appreciate it. Thank you. Entrepreneur show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google play. So you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.